I remember as a 25 or 26-year-old him and John Morkel, who he talks about in his preach, and Robbie Van Furen and Dylan and all of them running around you like mad things and um, absolutely having fun. And what's amazing, friends, is that uh, when, when we kind of grow up in church, we've got to fi- we, we kind of get imprinted by God with who He is. But it still makes, takes a moment, it still takes a moment where you've got to find Jesus for yourself in a profound way. And um, over the last couple of weeks, there's been a few moments over the, in fact, at our leaders weekend as well, Luke was there and he contributed profoundly. And there's just been this growing sense that actually it's time for Luke to preach. Um, over the last couple of prayer meetings, he contributed as well. Just the sense of actually there's a, there's, he needs to step into something more of what God has for him. So that's why he's up here. And uh, for those that don't know, one of my great stories of Luke McDonald, great, great story. Um, Doug and Sheena used to go up to Gazankulu. Uh, we had some friends there that used to lead it. There's a couple of churches there. And I remember very clearly the one time we, we kind of you go there and stay with the community, minister on a Sunday, connect with the people. It's, it was absolutely amazing. Um, that's the first time I've ever had walkie-talkies with with, um, with like porridge, but like sour porridge, like cold porridge. Ay, yeah, 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 it stretched me. And, um, and these guys are like, yeah, here we go. And that chicken, I promise you now, that chicken was as tough as leather. That was not the chicken you get from pick and pay. That was a chicken that feeds itself. And that chicken is not as very, pull it that, you know. Anyway, it was a, it's been a brilliant experience. But I remember, never forget this time with Luke. Eh? I've actually shared it in church before. Luke is there running around playing, and he was a young guy. I mean, I don't know, he's probably 12 or 13 or something. And um, he's running around playing soccer with the kids, and they're having an absolute time of their life. And the next minute, Luke just vomits on the floor. Obviously, he's eaten something, I don't know. But honestly, he's all over the floor. And that was not the most amazing thing. That was, that was like, hey, sheep is Luke, I'm sorry. The most incredible thing is all those chickens that are not from pick and pay, that feed themselves. No more, no, nothing on the floor left within five minutes, ten minutes. Yeah, just chowed that stuff, boy. And then the next little while, the oaks are chowing that same chicken, you know? Anyway, but it was, it was a funny story, but, uh, and uh, it really is, it's been an absolute joy to watch Luke in his walk with God, and especially recently, God has done something so profound in his life. And um, sometimes, sometimes people are the message. Sometimes people preach a message, but sometimes people are the message. And I think for Luke, even listening to, this, listening to him this morning, he is the message. So open your heart and, and receive what God has to give us uh, from him as he preaches today. Bless you, my bud. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Lufefe. I, I don't actually remember that chicken story, but I was just thought, you know, I was returning the favor to the chickens that we feasted on earlier. And um, I do have some good memories from Gazankulu, though. One, one was um, uh, getting, getting bathed and obviously um, coming from a much more conservative, individualistic sort of Western home. It was bath time, and I thought, oh, well, <laughs> not too much can go wrong with that until I realized that bathing in a village was a group occurrence, and all the kids stood in a line. And there was the first bath, bath was soap, the next one was water, and then the next one was a little mat, 
And of course, I took my position very cleverly at the back because I hadn't done it before. So I thought, I need to check what's going on. And then um, I just, oh, we got into the bath, you know, washed, rinsed, dried. And then the very final mat, vaseline And let me tell you something. I was one of the shiniest little white kids in South Africa that day. I was spick and span. So, yeah, some good memories there. Um, but yeah, as Stan says, I've, I've grown up in this church. Um, my parents were part of Glenridge since before it was um, Glenridge. Uh, it used to be called the Invisible Church. And uh, my, at that stage, my parents were sort of traveling a lot. And um, uh, yeah, so I grew up traveling with the church. And um, yeah, yeah, probably by like... Uh, 12 or 13, I'd been, we, they used to do a lot of LTTs. You would have heard Glenridge people talk about leadership training times. Probably been to like 30 or 40. And um, yeah, you know, the reason I'm telling you this is because um, just so you understand a little bit of the context of where some of these stories come from. And just to say that, to, to share with everyone here, this really is for me as my family. And um, I'm, I'm very privileged to be sharing with you all. So Obviously, this is also the second time doing it, so there's a few things I'm going to change. I'm going to go through the beginning a little bit faster and get to the end, so hopefully you have a little bit of time to pray. Um, but yeah, before I do that, let me actually just pray now. Father God, thank you that you are so magnificent and powerful, Father God, and thank you that we as your church are meant to be a splendid picture of who you are, Father. So I pray just today that we'd have a greater revelation of who you are, Father God, and that you'd be enthroned and glorified in our lives. Amen. Um, yeah, so a lot of what I want to talk about today, it's not like, it's a, it's a personal journey, so that thing of like, I am the first receiver of it. H- having said that, um, my, what I studied is cultural studies. One of the things you learn in cultural studies is that certain academic things see information, what they say is a neatly trimmed garden. In cultural studies, you believe that it's a jungle. And from the first one, I realized I definitely delivered a jungle. To give you, a, like, if you see information and you're expecting to get it like this, basically, I'm definitely giving it to you like this, and you maybe going to have to go stretch it out. So I hope that's okay. Um, yeah, so basically, to actually to help off what Stan was saying, uh, God has taken me on a very incredible journey over the last four years, and and actually, almost where it started was this like extreme place of honesty with God, where, where like I say, I'd, I'd grown up doing ministry with my parents and just living church life, you know. And um, I, I got, it's not like I didn't believe in it, but I got to a point where I'd become very jaded with who I saw God as through experience. And I actually had a moment in a car where, for people who know the, the Psalm 18, somewhat offhand, it talks about the incredible power of God. And um, I'm not going to read it all because that might take a little bit long, but it talks about um, uh, the foundations of the mountains shaking, um, smoke pouring from his nostrils. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. He was, uh, he was riding the winds. He was, it's, it's this incredible picture of God and his raw power. And it starts to come to almost fruition at verse 15. It says, Then at your command, O Lord, 
At the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. And I remember in a car one day saying, you know what, God, like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of my own hypocrisy. I'm, I, we, we as Christians say that we believe in this God that draws us out of deep waters, and like, I haven't seen it in a while. And what, what actually happened from that is, is that I had this almost m- moment where I just said, like, God, I'm, I'm personally drawing a line in the sand where I, I actually, co- I'm happy to grapple with Christianity in my own head intellectually for myself, for my own salvation, but this is not something I actually have, for lack of a better term, the conviction to proclaim, to share. So from this moment on, until I st- see more of your power, I, uh, like, I'm zipping it, you know? And um, as I said in the first service, you know, there was a, a level of that that was wrapped up in my own pride, and God dealt with that very <laughs> kindly, to be honest, over four years. And the other part is where my prayer was genuine. He has revealed himself to me in the last four years in ways that I struggle to, to explain. Um, and so... Actually, last prayer, what I, what I shared, and this was around that same time as sitting in the car and drawing a line in the sand, is at, at prayer, what I shared last week is that I remember a moment when I was in that stage of feeling very cooped up, and, you know, I just felt like, like Lord, where, what is my life coming to? Like, it just felt a bit topsy-turvy, and, and I used to work at a place that overlooked the stables, and uh, in the stables was a horse that was getting taken around, you know, trained to jump over things. And uh, that week I'd happened to watch a documentary on Blue Planet that was, and in it featured wild horses. And I remember watching that documentary and seeing these wild horses like fighting over territory and it was insane. And I remember sitting there thinking like, I have never imagined a horse like this. And as I was sitting watching these trained horses, I felt God say, You've let man tame you. And um, I realized that the creature I knew as a horse was by no means the real version of a horse. I only knew horses that had been tamed, shaped by man, and trained to perform in a way that suited them. And um, I realized that I'd let that happen in my own life. And so what I want to talk about today is actually the untamableness of God. And in that, let me just say that you cannot tame God. But one of the things you can do is is that you can make a tame image of God in your mind. When we create an image of Him in our likeness. And what I actually realized is as I'd let myself become tame and I'd started to worry about the image, uh, man's opinions and everything like that, I had begun to actually make God in the likeness of my experience. And I made God a tame God in my head, obviously, because there's nothing I can do to change the character of God. Here's who He is. And so what I want to talk about is a little bit of that thing of the image of God in our minds firstly, and then the second of sort of the, mis- mis- the mystery of God, the majestic God that is the counter to that argument, if that makes sense. Almost like the problem, the solution. Like I said, it's not going to be that clear, so it'll be a bit over. And it, and it is a bit of a personal story, so sorry if it gets a bit teary or whatever. That is what it is. But what I also want to say is to set this up is the thing that I realized is actually, and what I want to talk about is a little bit is this thing of idolatry. And because what I actually realized is that it was something, my tame view of God was something, it wasn't just like, oh, whoops, you know. 
I, I actually remember coming to a point where, point where like, I had to deeply, deeply, deeply repent. And in, in that thing of like, in a moment, like, boom, one big repentance, but also a journey of like, you know, if you think about it, if this is like the start of truth, and then this is all truth, and then this way is, is nonsense, I had been chuffing down this side and was like, when I said sorry, I didn't actually just immediately get here. You know, I kind of realized my wrong. I had to walk this process of, so that thing of like daily repentance, but also long-term repentance. And even now, it'll just be a period over two weeks and I'm like, I'm, ba- I'm back in this thing of making you tame. So these, these thoughts are not 100% like... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm drawing a lot from a, a book called Knowing God by J.R. Packer, where he talks about the fact that we, we need a generation to know of God, not about God. And uh, from a series of books by Mark Buchanan that just talks about the wildness of God. And um, yeah, let, let me start in there. I want to start with Mark Buchanan's summary of his own three books. And he says this, In my first book, Your God is Too Safe, I wrote about being done with the God of our own invention. I spoke about our tiredness as an epidemic of modern Christianity and our stuckness as a theological sickness, an an impaired vision of God as God. My second book, The Holy Wild, speaks about the life of God, the life God calls us into, life with the God who reveals himself in the Christ, who looks big men in the eye and says, follow me, then walks away, not waiting for a reply. A God who is not safe but good. He says, my third book is titled, is titled, There Is No Other Stream. And I just want to read a segment. Yeah. In explaining this thing of there is no other stream, he, he takes a scene from Narnia. And there's a character, Jill, and she is lost in the forest or in, in Narnia. She says, but she grows th- thirsty. She can hear from within the forest the sound of a stream. Her thirst finally drives her to seek the source of the sound. She proceeds cautiously afraid. She soon discovers the stream but is paralyzed by what she sees there. Aslan, a huge, huge and golden, still as a statue but terribly alive, sitting besides the water. She waits for a long time, wrestling with her thoughts, hoping he will go away. Aslan finally speaks. If you are thirsty, you may drink. Jill is startled by this and holds back. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I am dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this with only a look and a very low growl. And just as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountainside to move for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her near frantic. Will you promise not to, not to do anything with me if I come? I make no promises, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. I didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. Just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. 
That is where this book, my third, comes in. There is no other stream. This is about living in the holy world, living with the God who, without apology, without anger, without boast, swallows up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms. The God who gives us no option. Either we drink from the stream or we die. And I said it in the first service, but I was, at that point in my life, I was so caught up in a severe state of existentialism. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's just a big word for saying you're not finding value in anything. And I, I, was, I, was, I was about 25, 26, and I was exhausted. I, I was exhausted because, I, in essence, I'd been running around drinking salt water, just something that would never, never satisfy. I love that song we sung today. It just says, man's empty praise. I'd been running around searching for man's empty praise. And I'd begun to see God from the lenses of my own comfort, my stuckness, my experience. And I'd let them, that shape who he was. And um, what I quickly want to do is look at Romans, because it's, a, it's an amazing uh, yeah, kind of section on this. Uh, uh, is it making sense? Cool. Um, sorry, I'm going the wrong way in my Bible, yeah. Um, so, so Romans talks incredibly about um, sort of this thing of people not recognizing God as God, and he, how it basically opens is Paul says, everything about my nature and my creation has shown you that there is a God, and it says, um, sorry, let me just blow my nose. says, though everything God made, uh, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they know God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools, and instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped idols, made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's body, with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and serve the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And then J.R. Packer so wonderfully unpacks this, where what he says is, is that actually, and, and I think so often we see idolatry as this thing of we kind of imagine people like dancing around a totem pole and we're like, haha, idols, you know? Whereas actually so often, especially in our context of modern sort of life is it's actually, you know, idols are other things. It's not, there's not many people that are probably sitting here where we are worshipping figurines. And uh, J.R. Packer just unpacks this whole verse where he says, in verse 23 is talking about literal figurines, and verse 25 is, is talking about idolatry in the sense of false worship to the true God via images. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So it's not, 
it's not this huge act of anti-godness, but what it actually is, is not worshiping God in truth and not worshiping God in who he is. And he says the profound thing about this is he's not talking about the object of worship. He's talking about the manner of worship. And what happens is that actually he, he uses a beautiful example of Aaron's golden calf, where he says that, that calf was constructed to glorify Yahweh. It was meant to represent the strength of God bringing them out of Egypt. But what actually happens is that because of their messed up image of what God was like making something that tried to represent Him, actually how, what it does is it affects their worship. And what begins to happen is that they thought that if after that, they thought that a, a way to, to worship God would be fine in debauchery. And, and that's quite an extreme example, but the concept being that actually our image of God directly affects how we worship Him. And he says it like this, Psychologically, our thoughts are based on your image of God. You will begin to come to think and pray of Him, of the image you have of Him. In that sense, you begin to bow down and worship your image. And the extent to which the image fails to tell the truth about God, to that extent you will fail to worship God in truth. And, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful story. Um, Michael Eaton talks so, so wonderfully about it. We know it as Jesus healing the blind man, where he rubs, uh, I think it's the one where he rubs mud in his eyes, and he says, can you see? He says, I see men as trees walking. And then they pray again, and he gets completely healed. And people have used that to to talk about like sometimes God partially heals and Michael Eaton was just saying, you know, that's nonsense. So often um, God uses um, a physical miracle to represent a spiritual state. And if you go, I think it's in Mark 8, I think, that story. Actually, previously before that, what happened is God has just fed 4,000 people. And as they leave that place, the disciples leave and they start arguing about who bought bread. It's so illogical. And what he's actually saying is you are partially seeing. You are partially seeing the God that I am. And I always, that blows my mind because those disciples lived with Jesus. Like a disciple in those days was you went and you did everything Jesus did. And yet they couldn't see who he was. He was doing miracles in front of them. He was doing all these profound things. And there they were arguing about bread with a man in their company who had just fed 4,000 people. I'm going to skip a little bit ahead. Part two, call it whatever the solution is or is, and I want to summarize this so we have some time just to pray and stuff rather, but my friend Rob shared an incredible picture where he said he had an encounter with God where he was with God and he was with this lion. And what happened is the image suddenly changed and he was sitting with a tabby cat and he felt God say, why have you made me into a tabby cat when, when, when I'm a lion? And it's so simple, but the, the solution is seeing God rightly. And I think the thing that's so profound about that is, is that, like, one, it needs to happen theologically. We need to read the Bible. We need to read things like Revelation and stuff. Rod just did an incredible thing about Revelation. He's, and he was saying, you know, in Revelation, the word throne appears 43 times. And in chapters 4 and 5, it appears 19 times, I think it was. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rod. 19 times it talks about God enthroned. And, and I think it's this thing of part of 
seeing God rightly is embracing the mystery of who he is. And he is, he is so beyond us. Um, I, I want to read this from, it's called The God of Surprises by Gerard Hughes. And I, I'm saying that, why is the mystery of God so important to us as Christians? The truth about God, that God is a mystery, is of fundamental importance. Being fundamental, any religion which ignores this truth will certainly lead us astray. We may construct a most elaborate and genius religious system, but if it is not grounded in the basic truth that God is a mystery, then our elaborate system becomes an elaborate form of idolatry. We are constantly tempted to make God in our own image and likeness. We want to control and domesticate God, giving God perhaps a position of great honor in our, in our hearts, home and country, but we will remain in control. God is uncontrollable, beyond anything we can think or imagine. God, I once heard, God, I once heard someone say, is a beckoning word. He calls us out of ourselves and beyond ourselves. He is the God of surprises, always creating anew. That is why a church, which is static and immutable in its ways, cannot be in a sign, an effective sign of its presence in the world. And to bring this into our congregation, I've been talking about our individual mindset as to who God is. But the church, and this church is, an in, is we, we are meant to be a sign to the world of who Jesus is. There's something about the mystery of who he is where he takes his splendor and at times he breaks through that and he just goes like, boom, I'm going to display God on the earth. We see that in miracles. We see that in, in events. We, we see that in things. But actually, one of his primary instruments for displaying his glory is us. And we are never going to adequately display God until we ourselves sit down and we'd be like, God, I need to see you rightly. And, you know, Josh Tipu said that beautiful thing in, in prayer the one time. He said, we are not telling our story with his resources, but we are still telling his story with our lives. And God, over the last little while, in this thing of God's mystery, what he, he's been revealing to me something of this thing of like his cosmic nature. And, and the fact that actually there's something about God, like, and I'm going to read it from Ephesians, but I just want to unpack it a little bit. It's like, he, he wants the church to display, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there's elements that we as human beings can experience that actually angelic realms can't. For example, salvation. The, the actual demonstration of God coming and dying, he, he did that to restore re relationship with God and man. That is like incredible. That is something that the angelic realm, the heavens and don't have access to. God didn't do that for him. And there's something about the, the cosmic reality of God. It's, it's so humbling because actually you realize it's so, it's so above me. Like, God, your story is so much bigger, so much greater. All I can actually do is fall at this, fall before it. But at the same time, in that moment, he, he's, I, I want to partner with you. I, I want you to display this glory to the world. And I just said, yeah, there's something where this puny little life story of mine joins with the story of the ages, adding to the chorus that is singing the cosmic glory of God to all his creation as God's presence begins to fill the earth anew. And um, I'm just quickly going to read some of this from Ephesians just so that you don't think I'm talking nonsense. And 
it's, it's a lot. But, and and you, you need to read this for yourself, and, and there's so much more to it than what I'm just saying. So uh, there's a lot I'm, I'm leaving out. I hope that doesn't make what I am keeping in, inadequate. But it says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, this is Paul speaking, and he's talking to the Gentiles. He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan of God. The creator of all things had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut the end a, a little bit short, but I think actually there's an, in, in a, you know, Ray talks about the, the Ray in our, in our Bible study, is talking about the light of God. And he was saying, you know, it's an incredible thing. Actually, all that light does is illuminate something that was already there. And, that thing of like, we, we're not seeing clearly. I have such faith. I'm going to read something else from Ephesians here, from the Amplified Version, because it's so beautiful. But part of seeing rightly is we cannot do that in our own strength. And so this was a prayer for the church in Ephesus, but I'm going to read it as a prayer for Glenridge, because it's utterly profound. It's from Ephesians 1, 17 to 23. I always pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that gives you a deep and personal and intimate insight into the knowledge of Him. For we, know that the f- we, for we know the Father through the Son. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, God's people, and so that you will begin to know what immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of His active spiritual power in us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of His mighty strength, which He produced in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, whether angelic um, and far above every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not in this world, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in every realm, in subjugation under Christ's feet, and appointed him as supreme and authoritative, head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills and completes all things in all believers. And um, this book by J.R. Packer, Knowing God, he just says this thing of, you know, we, the world is so desperate for, for a community that knows of God, not about God. And so when I say we need to encounter God afresh, I don't mean we need to throw our minds away. I actually mean like sometimes we need to lay down our intellect before God and say, God, you are mysterious. You are so beyond my comprehension. Spirit, fill me. Fill me with this, with this Ephesians prayer. Only by your spirit can I see the fullness of who you are. Can I see the glorious inheritance? Can I see the cosmic goal of, of what you are doing on this earth? And, and revelations is, I've, 
um, Wendy Clansworth said this really cool thing to me. She said, climb into scripture and climb into scripture like it's a boat and sit in it. And for the last little while, I've just been reading Revelations. A little bit kicked off also by Rod. But it's incredible. I mean, like, the stuff in here is just ridiculous. Like, it, it, it's, a, it's a description of the risen God, and it talks all about the river of life. Chapters 21 and, and 22 is all about, if you're thirsty, come drink. If you're thirsty, come drink. And um, it says, then, this is from Revelations chapter 22. Then, then the angel showed me a river. It's talking, sorry, about the new heaven and the new earth. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop for each month. The leaves were used to, uh, for medicine to heal the nations. And I know that's the fullness of God when he comes in all his glory. But there's something about God wants to begin to usher that into our lives. And the position of the church is supposed to display God's glory. And that glory is for the healing of the nation. On some cosmic scale, which bends my mind, and I, I can't entirely put into words, but we need to know God. And we, to, we need to know that he is absolutely enthroned that he has no rival, he has no equal. This worship songs that we've just been singing have been so beautiful today. And um, yeah, I don't want to just carry on talking in circles, so I hope that makes sense. Thank you so much. Okay. Like Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, is this for us continually? He says this in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I keep asking, I keep asking that the Father, that by the spirit of God, we get a, have, a wisdom, have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know him better. Know him for who he is. And um, you know what, friends, actually we can take a, a message like this that has come with deep conviction, with deep uh, working, you know, and a, and a journey. And the authenticity of it, you can see. And, and it's, but I think what we've got to do is we've got to say, God, actually, there's, you know that we're going to go to heaven when, 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 when the new heaven and new earth comes and there's no more sickness, no more death. Eternity is a long time. Eh? So eternity is like there is no end. For eternity, we're never going to know God. There's always going to be more of God that you haven't known for eternity because he's infinite. So it's, like, it's not like we're ever going to get to a place where, we, yeah, we've got God taped. We've got him, we've got him compartmentalized. We know how he Friends, God is so much bigger and so much more than what we will ever, and we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Not the spirit of understanding and intellect, it's a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. And um, maybe if we could just stand it, we can just pray. Love Luke to pray for us as well. Just uh, especially in times like this, friends, in uncertain times, in times that are all over, we need to know that the God that we're serving is not a golden calf that we can shape and mold into our own image, a domesticated animal. 
actually we are shaped and molded in his image for his use, not us shaping him in our image for our use. And so, Father, I ask you, Lord, even as Luke prays now as well, that just, Father, you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord. I keep asking that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know him better. That we would know you, Father, for who you are. I pray, Lord God, that we would never, ever conform you to our image. We never, ever box you into something that we can contain you for. Father, you are uncontainable. You are awesome. There's no other being that awesome should be reserved for. It's only you. Awesome. And I ask you now, even as Luke prays, Lord, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see you high lifted up, to see you enthroned, to see who you for who you truly are, and then to walk with that God, to know that God, to be hand in hand with that God into all of, all of our lives, all of the time, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. Luke, why don't you pray for us, man? Father, I just... I, th I thank you that... Yeah, I just thank you that you are totally untamable, Father God. And I, and I thank you that that actually... The reason for that is, is that you, you are unfathomable and mysterious, Father God. You, you are so beyond our finite human minds, Father God. And yet, you've given us the privilege of from that place actually searching and, and growing and, 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 and becoming more and more who we're meant to be. You know that, that Romans, in the message translation, Romans 1 says they, they forgot to be, it translates that similar passage as, and, and the people forgot how to be human. And Father God, actually, our fullness is in you, Father God. And our fullness is is, is, is when we come to your living water, Father God. And I, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are making yourself known to us, Father God. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that in greater measure, we would become aware of who you are. And, and Father God, we don't ever want to rely on our clever words or fanciful things, Father God. We actually want to say, may we always be ready to lay ourselves down and, and, and just make room for you, Father God. It's, it's like the least we can do in front of your glory is off ourselves, Father God. And so, Jesus, I thank you that you, you are powerful and you are alive and you make yourself known to us, Father. And I just pray, even now, Jesus, where people have been battling with that intellectual side of Christianity, Father God, I just pray, Lord Jesus, even now, that you would just, it says you are making all things new. Father God, I thank you that you make things new. There's that song we sang, such a beautiful exchange, Father God. Beautiful ashes, beautiful ashes. And actually, we just bring our empty, emptiness to you as an offering, saying, Father God, just come. Come have your way. Walk among us. Lead us. Grow us. Stretch us. Show us your power, Father God. We want to be people that know who you are. We don't want to be people that have forgotten who you are or made a version of who you are, Father God. We want to know you in your fullness. And Father God, I thank you that the very personhood of who you are wants to tangibly meet us, Father God. And even now, Father God, in the literal sense, walk among us. 
Holy Spirit, let us know you. Reveal yourself to people now, Father God. Reveal your love. Reveal your glory. Reveal your presence, Father God. Thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that we are being made aware of who you are, Father. Thank you for your incredible presence. Thank you, Jesus. A lifestyle of repentance. Of glory after glory of knowing you, Lord God. Of deeper after deeper conversation, Lord God. Deeper, deeper revelation. Continually shaping and changing and forming, Lord God. Better vision of who you are, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.